Welcome to Movie Mavericks, a show where we talk snack about movies. We're still going with that catchphrase? I guess we are. I'm Lamamiyasha, and with me is my bro, V-Lord. GTC, how you doing, V-Lord? Doing pretty good. Yeah, and we've got a nostalgia bomb of an episode for you today, folks. That's right. Two movies came out last month that had really nostalgic ties. Ah, it was like living through the early 2000s all over again. That's right, because within a week of each other, we got Sailor Moon R, The Promise of the Rose, and Yu-Gi-Oh! The Dark Side of Dimensions in theaters, and we saw them both. And today, we're going to talk about them. First off, why don't we begin with the movie we saw first, that came out first. Sailor Moon R, The Promise of the Rose. Now, V-Lord, what do you think of this movie? What is your history with Sailor Moon and how do you feel like this movie did a good job presenting the franchise as its first theatrical debut? Um, well, overall, I thought Sailor Moon R was a very interesting movie. Of course, I, I just go over a little bit of history with my own experience with the franchise. I didn't really grow up watching Sailor Moon at all. Like, so my first exposure to it really was the manga about, I'd say, four or five years ago at this point. And yeah, so pretty much I, I started with the manga and kind of just read through it that way. So when Crystal came out, I watched that and then I went back and watched the old anime as well. So uh, compared to a lot of people, I have a very like, different take on Sailor Moon, I feel, because I don't really have nostalgia, per se, for Sailor Moon, but I do respect it a lot, and I do really like the series overall, and to go go particularly into Sailor Moon R, the Sailor Moon R was definitely very much different from what I expected. Going into it, I kind of did not realize that it was directed by the director of uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena. Kurihiku Ikuhara. Yeah, so that that surprised me right away, and I, I could kind of tell from just how it was directed. And for this time, considering that this came out even before a lot of the, I'd say, more character-driven portions of the Sailor Moon manga and anime, this was very, very interesting in how it, like, kind of delved into that own, like, inner workings of the characters, trying to flesh them out a bit more. And try to give like other sides to their whole characters overall, which was very interesting. Yeah, Sailor Moon was always character driven, but this movie was really interesting in the way it kind of showed us a little more of Mamoru's backstory and gave us this deep personal. I mean, it really showed us how he was dealing with the loss of his parents and how he's formed his connection with Fiore that kind of got him stew, and that was all really fascinating stuff. I think to backtrack a bit, let's talk a little bit about the theater experiences we had. To start off with, uh, I went to see this at Village East Cinema, who are doing a bang-up job showing anime movies, as always. And they showed this in the big auditorium, Theater 1, which is this huge-ass auditorium. And guess what? The entire thing was packed full. I'm glad when I got there when I did, because if I had gotten just a second too late, I would have not found a seat, probably. Like, that 
theater was completely full. And what was really cool is that you got people of all ages going to this movie. Yeah, you got us 20-somethings going there, but you saw people with their taking their kids to the movie. Like, I don't know if the, the parents were interested in Sailor Moon or the kids were interested, but it was cute to see families going to see this movie. I thought that was adorable. Uh, the movie started a little late, but, you know, it's a short movie, so that was okay. And, uh, I could, I could always use the time, since I have a bad habit of getting to the theaters, just not quite on time. So that was good. And, yeah, the th crowd was super enthusiastic throughout the whole movie. It was a, got a lot of laughs from the crowd. Like, some intentional but most unintentional like it's a pretty goofy movie with some really weird silly moments but there's also some genuine humor in the in the movie too that people did get their laughs at but it's a movie i feel is really fun as a sailor moon fan but it definitely shows its age in some places and it definitely shows its ikuharaisms in some interesting ways too which uh adds to some surrealism at times but uh, but it was a great crowd going experience just one of the most fun crowds that i've seen a movie with same with yugioh which we'll talk about later but yeah Really good theater-going experience. How about you, V-Lord? Was your theater packed? No, not at all. Uh, my, my experience theater-wise was very different. I, I went with uh, three of my friends that I knew from high school back in the day. Pretty much we went to our uh, nearby AMC in Southdale, Minnesota. And pretty much the, the, the entire screening was empty. Us four were only people inside the theater. And we wow. got, we also got there like, I think like five, six minutes late, but luckily there was like the behind the voice actors. Yeah. Thing at the beginning. Well, we should talk about that. How did you feel about the behind the voice actors? I thought it was very interesting to see their actors' insights into the characters. Stephanie, Stephanie Shea's insight into how Asagi has changed in this movie was very funny. Especially when you think about it when the line comes up in the film. Like how, you know, it, it, earlier on, at the beginning of Sailor Moon, she was like, Oh no! Who is this guy? Why is she touching my mom or But, like, in this movie, she's, like, calmly going, Hey, uh, hey, he's my boyfriend. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty enjoyable from uh, from the parts I saw of it, because obviously I missed, like, half of it, but the cast itself seemed to really enjoy, like, recording the new dub for this film, and it, overall, it seems that they really care about the characters themselves, which which was good to see. Also, I, I love Ben Diskinis Fiore. Yeah, he really did, he really sold that character, even during his most ridiculous moments. I can't believe you threw a flower at me. <laughs> did you guys laugh at that line like everyone in my theater did? Because oh, yeah, yeah, we laughed at it. It's supposed to be the big emotional moment, but oh, it's so it sounds so silly, and it's, uh, he sounds like such an over the top wimp while saying it. Donna, I listened to uh, the Anime Nostalgia podcast episode on the series, which I highly recommend because uh, they talk about it with with much more history with the movie, and they also go a little more in-depth than we're going to go 
with it. But, you know, they, uh, they were complaining about that line and saying, oh, I wish they would have changed it to, I can't believe you would do this, or I can't, I, I, why would you do this? But I think that completely misses a charm if they had changed the line. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think, for one thing, that's a very Ikuhara-ish line. That's also a very Sailor Moon-ish line for, like, someone to say. And also, it feels so appropriate with the character and his old flower motif, too. Like, the flower symbolizes, like, friendship to him. So Mamoru throwing his rose, like, right dab, smack into Fiore's chest, kind of symbolizes the breaking of their friendship. And so he's lost everything he was fighting for at that moment. It's the breaking of their love. Their love is gone. Yeah, I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves here. Fiore, he was uh, he was pretty gay for Mamoru. That was pretty oh, obvious. Yeah. It was, oh yeah, it, it went beyond friendship. And this is an Ikuhara thing, so I I feel pretty confident in assuming that, considering he loves LGBT relationships. Mm. Yeah, but Viore was a pretty interesting villain. I mean, he was more entertaining because he was just really over the top. But, like, he's like a jealous ex-boyfriend, and that's what makes him so enjoyable. Like, basically, Sailor Moon and Viore are fighting over him, or, like, the cur- his current girlfriend versus his ex. And that's that's a really hilarious angle to think about the movie. And I just love that aspect of it. And he, he acts like it too, and that's just another part of why. I love how over the top his character is. Like, I love in his introduction, he's like, tr- he dramatically shoves Sailor Moon to the ground. <laughs> and it's like everyone acts like it's so dramatic and like, oh my god! Oh no! He's only got big beat up way worse by monsters with the push. The push is too much. I love, I love how over dramatic it is, especially since like they the characters get beat up so much worse later on in the movie, and it's not emphasized as badly. Like like they get wrecked by Fiore later on in the film. Like I think. Uh, Sailor Jupiter gets thrown into a telephone booth. Like some yeah. of them get crashed into buildings. Like they get wrecked. They, it, they get, it, it got pretty violent in the middle, which was pretty interesting. Because I don't remember the Sailor Scouts like getting that kind of physical damage, or like their environments getting that physically damaged as much in the show or manga. So that was really interesting to see in this movie as well. Yeah, one thing. Well, I enjoyed the uh, voice cast interview thing. I mean, I wasn't totally a fond of the sa- of the make up uh, sa- Sailor Moon like recap thing before the start of the movie. At the same time, though, I appreciate Viz putting it there because that's how it was done in the original Japanese screening of the movie. Like that short precedes the movie. So it's cool that they dubbed it, because this is the first time that short has been dubbed. But it is just kind of like a recap of stuff that, you know, I feel most people who went into the movie had already known, like, the backstories of the characters. And Sailor V's isn't even canon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's it's an awesome backstory, though, so yeah. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> because it's so, it's so dramatic. <laughs> 
it's like, in a way, I like, I love Sailor, Sailor Venus is probably my favorite Sailor Scout, or Sailor Guardian, or whatever, but her backstory is just over, it's like so over the top to the point of being hilarious to me in the anime. Cause, yeah. especially with the way this short presents it. It's like kind of, like, at first, I, I kind of forgot that you had a different backstory of the original anime. I'm just like, wait, what? What? She, she, she's from England. There's all this dramatic stuff about her being dead. What the heck? I, honestly, I would totally watch that series though. They should make a re. They should make a reboot of Code Name Sailor V, showing her adventures, adventures as a police detective in London. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that would actually be pretty interesting. But, yeah, I mean, the best part of that short were just the interactions between uh, Usagi and Chibiusa. Because they have they have a great dynamic in the anime that I, I think I underappreciated a long time ago. But, like, they're hilarious with each other. So, like, every time, so every time, like, Chibiusa was like, Usagi, you're embarrassing yourself. And, like, Usagi was getting excited. Oh, those girls are going to talk about me next. But then they talk about someone <laughs> else. And Chibi is just, like, smirking to herself. Like, those those moments are all freaking hilarious. If I have one utter complaint about that short, it's just that the background girls who were talking, they didn't have distinct voices. So it, it was kind of confusing uh, sometimes, like, to know who was talking. Oh, yeah. Honestly, all the girls had kind of similar voices in that. Sailor Munisagi and those two girls had kind of similar voices, so it was hard to kind of pick apart at times. But you know, the, I I did enjoy it for the for the Asagi Chibiusa moments. Do I mean it, it just is a little annoying at the time because. You went through the 10 minute, like, cast interview, and now you're going through this 15 minute recap, so you're like, but when is the movie gonna start? And, like, I felt the crowd was getting a little frustrated too. I think one person thought the movie was over after the recap thing and left. <laughs> so, yeah, so, uh, poor her. She missed the part where Simon says, hey, I uh, keep watching, you know? I mean, it's 15 <laughs> minutes. I mean, they think, you'd think that they'd, Expect it to be longer. Yeah, it's an hour and a, like most theaters were listing it as an hour and a half because it's sixty minutes. Then sixty minutes plus the ten minute cast interview plus the fifteen minute short. Yeah, that, that's kind of strange that they just left. Yeah, maybe it was just so bad that they just wanted to leave. They didn't even want the movie anymore. It didn't. The short didn't look as good as the movie did. Like, I don't think that they upscaled it a bunch. Like, it definitely looked a lot wavier, and you could... And also, you saw the limitations of the TV animation, since it was just a recap special. The movie itself, though, had some pretty choice animation moments at times, uh, with the exception of that CG seed thing, which looked like it was out of a PlayStation 1 game. You know, the mm-hmm. seed comet planet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was like something out of a PlayStation 1 game. That definitely showed its age, but, you know, it was an early 90s movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I, one thing I just really appreciate about the movie, just now going into the movie, is the, it just Ikohara's direction. Like, it just, his presentation just 
makes a lot of things just so entertaining and interesting to me, which is why I really enjoy his shows. I really love how, like, when, you know, Mamoru is, like, stabbed, we have this really, like, violent red, like, background with these silhouettes, and it's all flipped upside down, because it's, like, Sailor Moon's world, and Fiora's world, is, like, turned upside down at that moment. Like, it's really cool stuff like that that I really love. Oh, yeah, yeah, I I love those moments. Yeah, so there is really cool directing, really cool animation moments. I think that, I feel like the main appeal of the movie, though, was just how, like, unintentionally hilarious it could be. Like, (laughs) when, when Artemis was, like, saying, Hey, everyone, come over here. Uh, Look, look at the computer. Do, do, do. And, he, and he's like typing for like a few seconds. Everyone in the theater laughed at that. Like they just <laughs> laughed at Ar- Artemis like typing on the computer. Yeah, it's like it's just he's really. <laughs> I mean, there are. I, I love just some of the movie. Like definitely shows his age in some places, so it's unintentionally hilarious at times. But it's it's also intentionally hilarious in great ways, too. Like, another great Ikuharo-y moment is, like, when Chibiusa is trying to wake Usagi up, and she, like, plugs her nose and puts, like, her hands over her mouth, and it takes, like, a minute or something. Like, it it just freezes on that frame for, like, a minute. (laughs) And then finally Usagi wakes up. But it just goes on. Oh, yeah. You wonder if the movie is frozen or something because it goes on for so long. Yeah, like, like my friends thought it was frozen at first, like, nothing's happening on screen. Yeah. But, like, everyone just, like, you laugh at that at the beginning and then you wait a while and then the longer it goes on, laugh at it again. And then you're like, oh wait, is the is the movie frozen? But then just when you think that she, she Sailor Moon wakes up, and it's like, oh, you got me, movie. <laughs> uh, it was a great moment. Uh, that that's like one of the most memorable moments. <laughs> but this movie is full of memorable moments, honestly. Yeah, like, pound for pound, it doesn't waste its runtime. It sh- it does a lot. I don't think there's anything I necessarily didn't like about the movie. In terms of plot, it does feel like kind of an ex- like how most people describe it. It is like just an hour long episode of the TV show. It's a pretty good one, and I appreciate like more Mamaru backstory and the fact that like he's actually useful for once because he he <laughs> he he saves Sailor Moon by throwing the rose into Fiore at the end. He's not the damsel in distress this time. Yes, he is. I'm going out here. Crap. Oh. Got fucking kidnapped again. <laughs> like he always does. I think yeah. they even joke about that, that he got kidnapped again. Oh yeah, they did. One thing I also, one thing I noticed is that, like, when they were having the conversation of, like, how all the guys are into Mamoru too, and, like, they're asking Sake, hey, is Mamoru by? And she, and she was like, I don't know. And they were, and then, like, they were like, well, you know, it's okay. I know plenty of got, uh, people who in my school are in that sort of relationship. <laughs> it's like, the deliver, I don't know, something about the delivery was so weird, but it, like, it also, it also was the fact that it was, uh, and I confirmed this, like, later on, that this kind of just added that in 
to the dub that wasn't in the original. <laughs> the entire part about like, oh, there are kids in my school and sort of that sort of relationship, like that whole normalizing of it was completely absent in the original. But I appreciate that that they added it in. It's just that like the delivery was kind of unintentionally hilarious. So like it, everyone, it everyone like was trying to be like one of those "it's okay to be gay" PSAs. Yeah. That's another moment where everyone in the theater was, like, laughing. There's some strange, weird throwaway lines in the movie, too. Like, like uh, during that same sequence, like, towards the end, like, Ma- like Maka just suddenly goes, Oh, did I tell you guys about the, t- about the guy who broke my heart? And it's like, what? That came out of nowhere. That was a weird moment, too. But, yeah, there's a, a good humor in this movie, really. Like, from the beginning, where, like, the sailor... Scouts are like trolling Usagi, like with the caterpillar instead of Mamoru. And like, she's like, You guys are the worst. What the heck? Like, to the very end, like, the movie's just full of great comedic moments. Oh, I could go on and on about them because there's so many memorable moments in the movie. But I think, aside from the ones you just mentioned, what were some of your utter favorite moments in this movie, Wheeler? Uh, you listed a lot of them. Um, let me see if there's anything else. Uh, I, I really like those, just all those like little flashback moments, like throughout the film. Especially mainly, especially the ones where the, that are focusing on Mamoru's backstory, and then also kind of his relationship with Fiore. Then even the one at the end where it's like, it, like they review like, oh, Usagi was kind of a central reason why why Mamoru gave a. Fiore, the rose, and all that. I felt that it all, like, tied together very well. Yeah, I mean, I found it kind of corny, the ending reveal that Isagi was the one who gave Mamoru the rose. But it was also sweet in a way, too. Like, because cause they're cu- cute little kids. Like, aw, they they were destined to be together. That's, that's adorable. But, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Both this and the next movie we're going to talk about... They both have to deal with moving on and a sense of loss and dealing with a sense of loss, which is pretty interesting. But overall, I think the theme of this movie is just like what Sailor Moon means to her friends and what like real friendship really is. Like it's not this possessive thing that Fiore wants. Like he kind of wants to own Mamoru and keep him to himself. But like... What Sailor Moon's relationships with her friends are like is, like, she brought a, this group of people who are all, like, alone together. And, like, she's, like, the central figure that, like, keeps all of them together. And not only that, but, like, she's just naturally kind to everyone. She's just looks at the bright side of their personalities and characters. Like, when Mako, despite her reputation as being this, like, violent tug like she was she was just interested in oh uh, what's in your lunch box oh wow you're a really good cook like she didn't like care about her reputation at all and now she was like that for the other scouts too like she just interested in what was like great about them and she just sees the best in everyone and that's kind of what sailor moon as a character really is like she sees the best in everyone and she begets like everyone for the bad things they do and that's kind of how most of the villains get defeated, really. Fiore being no exception. Yeah, I mean, 
This movie kind of felt like me. It kind of felt like the Dreams arc before the Dreams arc existed. Yeah. Yeah, because, but like I mentioned before, it's, uh, focuses a lot more on like the relationship between the Sailor Guardians and kind of their own like purpose within being heroes. I really like that about the movie. Yeah, so I think it's pretty safe to say that the core team of this movie is the friendship that bonds the Sailor Scouts together and, like, how that allows them to transcend their own, like, weaknesses and their own, like, fears and, and like, face and confront, like, uh, powerful foes because alone they can't... They probably couldn't do it alone, but, like, together they can, like, really... Pretty much save the world and stuff. And, mm-hmm. like, it's a really, they're really good moments in that regard. Like, when Usagi's like, no, I can't sacrifice you guys to beat Fiore. And, like, Rey is like, you coward. But, like, she's just try- crying and saying, sorry, you, you guys mean too much to me. And I, I just thought that was a really sweet moment. And that, that speaks to the strength of her character. Like, Usagi has the anime personality in this movie of, like, being, like, over the top and more of a crybaby than she was in a manga. But, like, she also demonstrates her best, like, strengths, too, in this movie, which I really appreciate. Like, you got the, you got a good, like, three-dimensional view of her character, which was really nice to see. I mean, they lay it on, they lay it on a little thick at points, like, Chibi used to saying, Sailor Moon is a mother to us all, which is also kind of an unintentionally hilarious line, because... Sailor Moon is her mother, but yeah. yeah, and also of course you know the they they talk uh, they like explicitly talk about friend the power of friendship and stuff in the movie too, which you know can get a little corny at times as well. But overall, I re- like the message of the movie. I like what it was saying about the characters. I like the insights of the Mamu's character and how he was presented because. He kind of get he get kind of gets a better presentation here than he does in most Sailor Moon media because not only is his backstory and relationships with both Fiori and Sailor Moon essential to the plot, but he also does help in saving the day at the end, which was pretty nice to see. Even though Mamoru is not necessarily a character I've always been the most interested in. So I appreciate the, the movie expanding on his character a lot more. And, like, giving him a lot more to do. Yeah, for sure. Don't think there's too much more thematically to cover the movie. Because it's a pretty simple movie in terms of the friendship and contrasting Sailor Moon and Fiora's ideas of friendship. And also, like, contrasting them in terms of, like, how they approach relationships and love as well. Like, Sailor Moon is, is like, more comfortable in her relationship with Tuxedo Mask, whereas... Fioris, like, gets really possessive and, like, wants him, like, all to himself. So, you know, the, there were some interesting angles to look at the movie at. Uh, so I think we can basically move on to Yu-Yu at this point, unless you have anything else to add. Though I will mention one of my other favorite scenes. Like, Chibiusa is a treasure in this movie. Like, she, 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 like, had so many great scene-stealing moments. Like, when she was left behind with, with the other scouts, run, ran off to, like, confront the zombie people. Like, and she was falling behind, and she was like, You're all hard! 
heartless. And then, of course... The gun scene. uh, Yes, that's what I was building up to. I love the fact that they brought back Chibi-Yusa's gun. And, like, she shoots, like, this uh, good luck arrow at her. Like, this... this... Yeah, it's like the good luck you can do it thing. Yeah, this dark with a flag is, like, this really over-the-top moment that is... So Ikuhara, but also so Sailor Moon, and it's it's also so Chibiusa. I love Chibiusa's uh, Chibiusa's like amazing. Uh, I love I love her character. Like she has a great character arc, but she's also just really funny and awesome in this movie too. Just as a supporting character, mm-hmm. and yeah, she's a uh, she's my daughter. Okay, I guess we're going to pause on that for a moment. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say about Sailor Moon? No, not really. I think we've covered all the bases. Yeah, Sailor Moon R, Promise of the Rose, really fun movie. Uh, pound for pound, worth your while, especially if you're a longtime Sailor Moon fan. And I highly recommend picking it up when they put it out on Blu-ray, which I think the Blu-ray is coming out later in March or something. So yeah, pick it up. Pretty fun movie. I heard from most people that it's the best Sailor Moon movie. I'd wonder about that. I mean, it's a pretty fun movie. I wouldn't say it's amazing, but... Like, I'm still, I still think it's really a really fun time for a Sailor Moon fan. But I'm interested in watching the other movies, too. I haven't seen the other movies. And I'm kind of hoping when Wiz dubs them, they also give them theatrical screenings. Because, yeah, I would definitely go to those. Yeah, I think this one did pretty well for Wiz, so hopefully we'll see the other. Yeah, I mean, your theater might be, have been empty, Warren. But my theater was so full that... They scheduled another screening for 2 p.m., and apparently that was so full that they've scheduled another screening for today as well, even though the movie was only supposed to be in theaters for one week. I mean, to be fair, like, my my theater was only going to show it on one day on, like, Thursday, but then I think that did so well that they, like, added, like, 20 more screenings. Wow. So, so even though your screening, the screening you went to was so empty, it was doing well at other times, it seems. Yeah, I'm sure the initial screening was probably packed. So I think that, yeah, obviously Sailor Moon is, like, one of the big franchises that everyone knows as far as anime goes. Like, it and Dragon Ball and Pokemon and Digimon. So I think that, you know, I think, I think Viz has a pretty good, uh, safe bet when it comes to releasing these movies and having them do well. So I'm kind of hoping they continue to give them theatrical releases because I will go to every one of them. Because mm-hmm. it was a really fun time and I'm a and I'm a big Sailor Moon fan. So You know, another thing I really have to appreciate about this movie is that it really makes me want to go back and watch Sailor Moon dubbed. Particularly R forward because... I'm not the biggest fan of the first season, but R Forward, like, I might do that sometime in the summer. Because, like, man, I really was on a Sailor Moon kick after that movie. Like, I really wanted to, I really was thinking about Sailor Moon a lot. And I was like, man, I should go watch some more Sailor Moon. 
So that that's why I'm excited for the Dreams arc getting animated later this year in Crystal. Because, like, uh, the Chiaki-Con directed uh, season last year was really good. So I'm expecting the new season to be really good, too. Hopefully she's back as the director. Yeah, like, those fi- the faces in animation in that season were just awesome. But, yeah. Sailor Moon R, highly recommended. Systems ready. And now it's time to take another leap back in time to talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! Your move, your move, your move! Yu-Gi-Oh! Alright. Let's talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! The Dark Side of Dimensions! The first theatrical Yu-Gi-Oh! movie in a couple years. It's since Bonds Before Time, or Beyond Time. Was Bonds Beyond Time in theaters? It was in theaters. I do not remember this. Yeah, 4K Media and Konami put it in theaters back in the day. I remember. We just didn't get to go see it. But what we did get to go see was the original Yu-Gi-Oh! movie, <laughs> Pyramid of Light, which we did actually see way back in the day. Oh god, Pyramid of Light. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pyramid of Light. I enjoyed it when I was ten, but now that I am an adult, I uh, it, uh, does, it doesn't hold up. Yeah. really doesn't hold up. It didn't hold up even two years after I first saw it in the theaters. Because I tried watching it again on VHS or whatever, and I could not finish the darn thing. It was, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, one thing I didn't know about it for the longest time is that Pure No Light it was actually written and produced by four kids themselves. I think that explains why it was so bad. Yeah. Because regardless of how you feel about... Yu-Gi-Oh! stuff outside of the manga. Like, it's at least passable at its worst. But this movie, uh, Pyramid of Light, uh, I just can't even watch it anymore. Yeah, Pyramid of Light is best forgotten and never talked about again. But thankfully... That one Kaiba song was really good, though. Yeah, don't say if I were you, or tell me what you do, if you were in my shoes, because you're not me. Yeah, yeah that one. That, that's a classic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thankfully, this movie was not written by 4K Media. It was written by Takahashi himself, and as a consequence, I think it was pretty darn good. Like, it was a much more coherent and meaningful story, and a lot more fun. I think, just, again, let's begin at our teeter experiences. Once again, I saw this at Village Cinema, and the teeter was packed. Like with Sailor Moon, there were old, there were kids there, there were 20-somethings there. Like, you got both a nostalgic crowd and then a new crowd of kids who are just into Yu-Gi-Oh! Which was, again, really nice to see. Uh, the movie started on time, 
we got Marvel trailers before it, which I guess that's just a theater by theater thing. We also got the tra- we also got a commercial for Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links the game, so that that was another thing. Yeah, the theater experience again. I think was a little more annoyed by this audience just because they some of them would yell things and talk over the movie, which got on my nerves a bit. But at some points, it would also lead to unintentionally hilarious moments, like when uh Kaiba, when like the duel between Yugi and Kaiba suddenly like cut short when Igami returns, like. The one guy in the crowd was was like going, that nigga just rage quit, <laughs> and it was like <laughs> everyone in the theater started laughing, and like at the end of the movie when Kaiba, oh boy, I want to build up to that, but like at the end of the movie when like Kaiba is doing his final like crazy what the fuck stunt, like that uh, that same guy was like going. What what is wrong with this dude? <laughs> so there was a, there was some fun reactions to the movie. I was kind of annoyed that at points like people were treating it like this was some Rocky Horror Picture Show, but at the same time, you know, I just enjoy having an audience that gets so worked up and having has so much fun in the movie. You know, there was plenty of laughter, plenty of ch- applauding. There was some like great fan reaction. Like it was, it was very involved crowd, and I enjoyed being a part of it. How about you? Yeah. So uh, I saw this movie with actually the same th- friends that I saw the Sailor Moon R movie with. You know, I didn't ask you. Did your friends enjoy the Sailor Moon R movie? Yeah, they they kind of did. Even though like they are, they weren't like super familiar with Sailor Moon itself. They they enjoyed the movie. It uh, probably helped that the re- they had the recap film at the beginning, because they at least were a little bit well versed in like who these characters are. Yeah, so I, you know, yeah. I guess that recap thing also did its part to help tell new people uh, that's what this is what up with this character and this is what up with this character. So I guess it, that it did work out in that regard. Just a little tiresome for someone who already knew everything. But about Yu-Gi-Oh, how is your crowd? Yeah, so I saw it at a theater down in uh, Plymouth, Minnesota. And pretty much the theater itself was pretty packed, I guess. Maybe like three-fourths of the way full. It was like a wide range crowd. There were some children, a lot of adults, then some teenagers and stuff. But yeah, it, it was a diverse crowd. And then the movie started on time, all that stuff. Overall, it was a pretty good experience. I'd say the only, like, annoying part was that in the row behind us, there was a, like, a baby and a, her mother. And it, near the end of the movie, the baby started, like, shaking this, like, big, like, sh- shaker sound rattle constantly. And it just got really annoying because <laughs> it was pretty loud. Why would you take a baby to the, like, was it a, like a... Baby, baby, or just a it was like, It was like a literal infant. Wow. Okay, I guess I guess that mom just really liked Yu-Gi-Oh. So she's like yeah. wanted to in- make do- indoctrinate her kids into the franchise early, like from baby's first. You gave her a baby first Yu-Gi-Oh card, baby first Yu-Gi-Oh movie, like really raising up the next generation of duelists. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's all fine and dandy. Bring your kids to. A kid's movie. 
yeah, <laughs> that's kind of obvious. Yeah. But don't give it like a very loud toy. That, that, that's just kind of bothersome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, luckily, luckily those parts of the movie were pretty loud to begin with. So like, usually the sound of the movie drowned out the baby. But no, it, it was just a minor thing. It didn't really ruin my experience by any means. That's good. Yeah. Oh yeah, we had to mention like, did you guys get the Yu-Gi-Oh card? Yeah, I got a Yu-Gi-Oh card. I did. I still haven't checked to see what it is. Mine was Obelisk the Tormentor. Oh my god, it's god cards? Okay, okay, live. We're doing this live. I am going to unveil what the Yu-Gi-Oh card I got it was. Alright, I'm opening up the card. You can hear the crackling of the wrapper. <laughs> I also got Obelisk. I think everyone got Obelisk. Hmm. You think they... All, all my friends got Obelisk as well. Okay. You think they give out one of those crazy new blue eyes forms that... They unveiled in the movie. Yeah, like, Kaiba got a lot of dragons after the pharaoh left. Like, Jesus. Yeah, like, blue eye... I can't even recount the blue names. Blue eye saber dragon, blue eye, like, neo dragon. Like, just these... This, that crazy blue eyes which had, like, five wings all in a ring? What what was up with that one? Like, it was insane. Should, should, we, should we should we talk about the best part of the movie first? Seto Kaiba? Yeah, that pretty obviously. Kaiba was the best part of the movie. Like, the, Kaiba was a scene stealer. Every moment he was in this movie was an absolute delight. Every piece of dialogue he said was a winner, each and every one. Just, oh my god, I can't, I, I just love this man. Kaiba, he is the Thing that makes this movie as good as it is, I feel. Honestly, I forgot how over-the-top and fabulous Kaiba is. He is so good. Like, I, I, you, th- you feel like the abridged version of Kaiba is like a step away from it's how not. he is? It's not. <laughs> it's is literally like... Kaiba. Kaiba's literally, like, the ultimate, like, fabulous over-the-top character. He's like a JoJo character <laughs> in a, in the Yu-Gi-Oh universe, which I guess is kind of fitting because I do believe that Kazuki Takahashi did work under Araki at some point. Yeah, going around riding his blue eyes jet plane, like dramatically leaping out of it, like <laughs> building a space station and an AI to assemble the Millennium. I mean, literally, console. the opening scene is like they're showing off all these galaxies, all zooming in on one point, and it's just zooming in on Kaiba's face inside this giant space tower. <laughs> build a space tower to build a Millennium Puzzle in zero gravity to make it easier. <laughs> I, I, I love that one scene where Mokuma's like, but Seto, it took Yugi eight years to k- k- solve the Millennium Puzzle. And then he, Kaiba's all like, that's because Yugi was a simpleton. Kaiba's put-downs were great. Like, when the when the when his scientists were all kissing up to him, he was like, shut up, you simpering Siku fans. And then he crushes his water bottle and throws it dramatically on the floor. And then he says, fire whoever designed that bottle. Kaiba Core <laughs> products shouldn't bend that easily. <laughs> oh, uh, let, Let's not forget about his obsession with the pharaoh. 
Oh like, my god. He literally made a simulated version of the Pharaoh, and he mentions how hard it was to, like, emulate the Pharaoh's hair, and it took the longest part of the entire emulation to develop. Just the way he just says it, too. Like, yeah. I can't remember, like, the exact quote, but, like, that got everyone laughing. Like, his rocking do or, like, something. Like, it was. Yeah, I think it was, like, his. It was, like, his ferocious, like, hairdo. Or something. Yeah, it's just oh my god. Yeah, like for this, I have to say, Konami, 4K Media, whoever was responsible for the script, just did a really good job because I don't feel it's straight too far from the original, but at the same time, there were clear script adaptations, but they worked. Like they they were all enjoyable and not like in a so bad it's good way, like in a legitimate way. Like I legitimately found Kaiba funny, but I still found him a believable. Character. This still felt like Kaiba to me. It didn't feel like a parody of himself. Yeah, I mean, it see it seems like this is very much how Takahashi would write Kaiba. Yeah, I, I'm sure they took a few liberties on the script, like 4K Media usually does. Now, ever since they've been under Konami, I feel they're le- I feel like they're less like deviant from scripts completely and that might be because they're probably working on lower budgets than they were when four kids it still feels that it's staying true to the original version yeah oh oh, yeah yeah i also love this one scene when uh kaiba's uh dueling yugi and he brings out uh, i think it was apple magician girl and kaiba's (laughs) all like you dare mock me with fruit (laughs) that was another like a crowd laughter moment that was yeah that was just amazing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kind of gets us so insulted that yeah. Yugi would fight him with a with Apple Magician Girl. <laughs> what? This is great. Uh, I really appreciate Kaiba's prominence in this movie for another reason. Is that like Kaiba isn't in the final arc of the manga, so you know he doesn't get involved in the entire stuff with Millennium World. He doesn't really see a tem off like. The final pages of the manga show him like he arrived in the desert or something, but he was like he didn't like see the duel between Yugi and the Tem. He was just like standing in the desert, like watching the temple or something, which is really weird. But yeah, yeah. so I mean, if I remember in the anime, they in the anime they kind of like shoved Kaiba into a few scenes in Millennium World to actually give him a role. But the, yeah, the manga, from what I remember, he's just kind of not there. Yeah, he's not there. So it makes sense that he couldn't get over the Pharaoh. He couldn't have like that moment of closure with him. So that's why he's so obsessed with him. Like throughout the movie, like even near the end, like Yugi's driving home the point that the Pharaoh can't come back. He'll never be able to come back. And Kaiba's just in complete denial. He's like, no, you're lying to me. I need to fight him again. Yeah, like, literally, when Yugi completes the puzzle in front of him and, like, the pharaoh doesn't return and Yugi goes and explains, you know, the pharaoh is gone. He moved on. And we just need to accept that. And, like, Kaiba's like, you lie! He's just afraid because he knows I'll beat him! And he's like, wow, dude! You're so deluded! But in the end, Kaiba was kind of right, because Atem did kind of come back just for a brief moment. I'd say I'd say that whole thing was more of a residual of the of the puzzle itself. 
kind of like how in the Millennium Ring, there's still kind of a dark power within it, even though, uh, even though Dark Merrick is technically dead. Dark Bakura. I mean, dark, yeah, why is it Dark Merrick? Dark Bakura. <laughs> well, the Millennium Ring always had an evil power in it. Like, even back in the ancient Egypt days, like. Well, yeah, true. After, like, it just grew after Bakura stole it from Mahato, and then a piece of Zork's soul was sealed within it later on after the Pharaoh's battle with Zork. So, you know, there's still some residual, like, part of Zork's soul, I guess, in the ring. Which is probably why the guy, why, uh, why a diva, when he finally gets the ring, kind of resembles, like, a pseudo-Zork of sorts. Well, he has a demonic form, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, he doesn't have a dragon penis, but yeah. Oh, yeah, Zork's <laughs> dragon penis, we all love that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was something. This movie was really interesting because it's basically, like, hammering the point home of, like, it's time to to move on. Like, you can't, like, get caught up in the past. I feel that the ending of the movie sort of, like, uh hurts the message of the original manga just a bit because, you know, Atem does come back, but I, thinking about it, I think that does make sense, like, just because the bond between them was so strong, like, and also it was, like, prophecy, like, that if the Pharaoh returned, like, the, uh, what are they called, Plana, the Plana would, like, powers would disappear or whatever. I mean, yeah, when I when the scene first like showed up, I was kind of like having had mixed feelings about it because it, at first I fe- felt it was very much like a de- Deus, Ma- Deus Ex Machina mm-hmm. of sorts. Well, it ca- yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, like it, it makes sense from the point of it, it's reacting to the power of the Millennium Ring and it's the remaining power, I guess, essence of the Pharaoh that was within the puzzle. The fact that Yugi himself doesn't really interact with the Pharaoh himself within the puzzle kind of represents how it's very much the remnants of the Pharaoh and Yugi's bond with those remnants that are within the puzzle that awakened Atem temporarily. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be left ambiguous because you see like these weird like phasing moments where it looks like it's regular Yugi and like Atem, like they're switching back and forth. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, you know, that you can imply, you can interpret it as either a Tem really did return or Yugi kind of was just believed in the heart of the cards and that just gave him the strength to save the day. I mean, well, one thing I also really want to know about this movie that I really like is that Yugi, you can really show that Yugi has grown as a duelist. Oh yeah. Immensely. The fact that he can stand on the both Giva and Seto Kaiba which, with, like, not, like, complete ease, but with, like, a good strategy in mind, like, if you watch the duels themselves, like, most of the winning moves that he was doing pretty much were set up right at the beginning of the duel. Yeah. Uh, which, to be fair, like, I think y- Yugi's always, when Yugi's dueling himself, he always kind of has this, like, whole thing of where, usually in the beginning of the games, he does kind of terrible, but it's because he plans so much in the beginning to use later in terms of like trap and spell cards. Mm-hmm. Which I've always found kind of interesting. Yeah, it's good to see Yugi is standing on his own even in the absence of a Tem. 
Now, he's a very strategic duelist, which is always very appreciable. And I really do like how he traps Aigami in this perpetual attack loop, which ultimately causes him to self-destruct. And of course, it was really satisfying to see, like, he legitimately beat Kaiba. Like, that was pretty awesome. You, regular Yugi, legitimately beat Kaiba. That was really cool. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the duels in this movie. They were a lot of fun, and they were also a lot of strategy involved. Like, obviously, you know, it's hard to figure out the rules, especially with this whole dimension summoning thing. But yeah, the dimension like, duels kind of confused me. <laughs> but a lot of the... But you can Especially with Yugi's duels, you can pick apart a lot of the strategies, and they do really work, and they feel really satisfying. Just like the final couple of duels in the manga itself really, like Yugi's duel with Bakura. Like, there are a lot of callbacks to Yugi's duel with Bakura and his duel with uh, Atem at the end of the manga, especially with the Kaiba fight, because he summons, like, that uh, blob creature at the beginning, just like he did in his fight with Atem. He also summons Gamora as well, which was how he defeated Bakura in his duel. So that that got me very... I, I, I I definitely got, like, just fanboyish appeal out of all that stuff because you know it was really cool to see them make those callbacks and refer to those strategies yeah i mean you could very much tell that takahashi put a lot of like thought into writing this it very much feels like a proper epilogue to the Yu-Gi-Oh manga proper much more than any of the spin-offs have that have been going on for the past like 10 years yeah, it really is a nice epilogue. Like, they're graduating high school and they're moving on from the past. Like, even Bakura kind of gets to have some closure with what he, what, like, what his dark side did. Yeah. Which was nice. And I enjoyed seeing the origins of, uh, Dark Bakura. And I also oh, yeah. appreciate. This was the first time we ever saw him, like, how he got the Millennium Ring, I guess. Like, and how he killed, uh, Shin. Yeah, I appreciated that, like, Shoddy was important in the movie, too, because he he was always important in the series, but he kind of, there were a lot of things left unexplained about him in the manga, and there's still a lot of things unexplained about him in the film, but I think you got a little more about what he was about and could piece together a little more, like, his relationship with Atem and who he really was and stuff from the film. So I pre- so I, I really appreciated that you know they tied that they tied like Aimaru's uh, motivations to avenging Shadi, and like showing, kind of explaining like who sh- what who Shadi really was, and like you know he was a spirit all along, which is why he couldn't like physically accompany them to the Millennium World, but he was like the second personality of Obasa. So like when. Zork awakened in Millennium World, like, that was what allowed him to re-manifest. So, like, a lot of complicated stuff, but, like, you can sort of work around, oh, so that's why this happened before, which I appreciate. Yeah, it's been so long since I've read Millennium World that a lot of that stuff's kind of fuzzy to me, aside from, like, a few parts in the middle and then the end. Yeah. Like, the, what what this movie is really, like, hitting home to me is that I really have to go back and reread the entire manga now. Yeah, and that's what I want to do, too, honestly. Yeah, because yeah, honestly, I, I probably enjoy it, like, way more now than I did when I initially read it. Yeah, I reread Millennium World leading up to it, and I, yeah, that, that holds up so well. 
and I do really want to go and uh, reread the entire manga from the beginning at some point too. You know, it, it's a lot of fun. Like as ridiculous as the premise is, and as it can get with the duels, children's card games to the death. There really is some good storytelling though, and uh, you know there is some great villains in particular with some interesting arcs. So. Yeah, I think that is really interesting. Especially since the final arc of the Monk of Millennium World, it's all about, like, Atem and Bo- Yugi coming to terms with Atem's death and the fact that he has to leave. And so this movie is continuing off that with Kaiba and Yugi just, like, finally having closure with Atem and, like, accepting the fact that he is gone now. Though a part of him will always live on in their memories and hearts. Like, memories yeah. was a huge factor in this movie. And so it was, like, the memories of his friends that saved Joey in the end. And, uh, you know, memories just... Basically, the memory of a Tam also kind of helped Yugi out in the end because it gave him the inner strength to defeat Aigami. So there's a lot of cool thematic stuff that tied back into what was going on before. So I really appreciate that. There's a lot more going on to this movie than just, like, a simple, like, oh, uh, we gotta do this bad guy. There's, like, a lot more pathos, a lot more character development in this movie, which I really appreciate. Like, this is a worthwhile continuation of the franchise in the same manner as Battle of Gods and uh, the Boruto movie. Like, it adds on to the franchise in meaningful well and shows how these characters have grown and changed and, like, that they are really moving forward to the next pattern in their lives. Like, at the end of the movie, Anzu, Taya, like, she basically leaves the group. Like, she goes off to America. Like, so the group is separating. Like, they're going their own ways now. But they're all per- pursuing their own dreams. But, like, they all have that same bond of friendship keeping them together. So, it's really nice. Really cool, like, thematic ideas and de- character development that I think really, really is what makes this movie, well... What makes this movie is Kaiba, but, like, <laughs> what makes this a meaningful movie is, like, that there's actual, like, development. Like, it actually is continuing the story in a meaningful way. Yeah, I really like how this kind of movie serves as, like, clo- very much kind of a final closure to Yu-Gi-Oh! The original. Yeah. And just uh, I just find that so satisfying. I think that this was a really fun movie. And, uh, I, that, I got a little tired during the middle when Kaiba wasn't in it as much. Like, when it was just about Aigami and, like, him trolling Joey or whatever. But, like, the beginning and the end of the movie is just so strong. So I definitely thought it was just so worth it. And again, it's about, it's about more than what it appears to be. So that's another thing that I really appreciated as well. Like, it could have been so easy to make this just another, like, cash-in, like, cheap nostalgia movie, but this actual, this has pathos behind it. Yeah, it's clear Takahashi put some real heart into the film. It very much is a homage to the work he put in, and the stuff that fans loved about the manga and the anime. Definitely. Yeah, and honestly, it makes, it really makes me wish he would actually kind of go back to, like, making more like, new series, like, outside of Yu-Gi-Oh! Because I, I know he released a one-shot in Jump back in 2013, 
So I wish he'd do, like, maybe release more, like, non-Yu-Gi-Oh! one-shots or kind of make a new series. I would love to see a new series from Takahashi. Because he, at the at the core, he's just, he knows how to make things, make, like, games and all these different things so entertaining that very few other mangaka, I feel, can do. Yeah, he's an interesting and underrated storyteller, so it would be interesting to see him make something other than Yu-Gi-Oh! Maybe one day. Maybe one day. If the cre- if the writer of uh, I Shield 21 can come back, anything anything's possible. Definitely. I guess there. I don't have any other complaints about the movie necessarily. Uh, the some of the CG, you know, was a little off-putting, but it kind of works in this kind of movie just because of the nature of dual monsters and the fact that they're like holograms. Aigami was okay as a antagonist. Like I wasn't admittedly too invested in him. Like, if he didn't have the shoddy connection at all, I probably wouldn't care, have cared as <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, same. <laughs> but the shoddy connection and the fact that it was, at the end, shoddy kind of saves him from himself because attempt summons basically shoddy to take yeah. it, take him out. So, I, I appreciated that. I guess the one, a pet peeve is that they didn't explain why Kaiba has Obelisk again. Like, they never really explained why Kaiba has Obelisk again. I'm assuming that he either made a new card uh, that's pretty much Obelisk the Tormentor, or he somehow recreated the card from some remnants of the card? I don't know. I mean, I was expecting him in the final duel to use Obelisk, Slifer, and Raw against Yugi, because he he had created all the god cards again. But, I don't know. Oh yeah, he only used like Obelisk in that one fight in the one duel with Diva, and then he didn't use it again. Yeah, it kind of seems like it just was a kind of a marketing tie-in. <laughs> yeah, that that felt like kind of a Deus act just because they didn't explain it and it didn't come back later on in the plot. But I like seeing it was cool seeing Obelisk again. It was just like okay, but how how did this happen? I'm assuming it's Kaibacorp logic where they can pretty much do anything and they control the entire world. Sure. I mean, maybe they explained it in another spin-off series or something. And I just said I mean, no. are the other spin-off series even canon since Pegasus is alive in them? I don't know. <laughs> and I guess how do you interpret the ending? Because, like, did Kaiba travel back in time or to another dimension to face Yuki in Egypt? Like, so, I'm, um, so he used the remaining power in the plana and he channeled it into entering a dimension. So I'm assuming that he just went back and he used that to pretty much send him to where kind of a Tem's spirit went when they, in, like, Millennium World. Which... Is kind of weird, but I guess it works. Yeah, it's I mean, funny. It's... <laughs> okay, yeah, it is. It is funny because he just like as that guy in the crowd yelled, "Oh my god, what is wrong with this dude?" Like he 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 really is obsessed with a tem and like dueling him again and showing that he's better. Than him. <laughs> like yeah, I, I appreciate his line. Like he tells Yugi, "You had your bond with him." I had mine. <laughs> yeah. I also love, like, right before he leaves for the other dimension, he's just like, oh yeah, Mokuba, you're in charge now. <laughs> it's like, so he's permanently stuck there? I don't think he's permanently stuck there, because you see, like, the body that he has entering in the dimension is slowly decaying, so I think he'll only be there for a set amount of time before he gets sent back. 
every scene involving Kaiba is just so amazing. I I did not realize how much I loved Kaiba until after watching this movie. Eric Stewart just did an amazing job again reprising the role. Like all the actors did an amazing job reprising the role, but like Eric, he he was the MVP for sure because every line was just spot on. Yeah, I mean, personally, I feel the dub of Yu-Gi-Oh! is kind of hard to watch nowadays, but this actually sounded really good and probably helps that the voice actors have had a lot more experience since the original Yu-Gi-Oh! anime. Definitely. Uh, Some of the side characters still sounded kind of cringe-wordy, but, like, the main characters all sounded pretty nice. And the script was, you know, pretty okay, too. Like, it was was actually legitimately funny instead of unintentionally funny like the old duck was. So I appreciated that. And I also appreciated that they brought back some, like, classic, like, four kids songs as background tracks in the movie. Like, they play I'm Back at the beginning of the movie, uh, when, like, we see Yugi for the first time. That, they, they, when Kaiba's going up into space, they're playing Dual Madness. Like, I really appreciated they brought back some of those instrumentals. I really wish that they had played You're Not Me at some point. <laughs> like, oh, God. Cause that would have been amazing, too. Like, uh, but so there's a lot of effort put into this movie, just both on the production side and like on the dubbing side. And I definitely really appreciate it. This was a great movie just in every aspect. Really fun. Like maybe not a perfect movie because there it does drag in the middle. There are some like things you could probably cut out and there's some things that are unexplained and Kind of feel do sexy, but like overall, this was definitely a really wordy conclusion to the Yu-Gi-Oh! to like the original Yu-Gi-Oh! story. A really great epilogue that I found very meaningful and uh, really enjoyable. Between the two, Yu-Gi-Oh! Dark Side of Dimensions and Sailor Moon R, which would you say you enjoyed more? Probably Yu-Gi-Oh! Dark Side Dimensions. Honestly, I think I'd have to go with Sailor Moon. Just because I think pound for pound, minute by minute, I was enjoying that movie like beginning to end. Whereas with Dark Side, again, I did feel it kind of dragged in the middle a little bit. And I also had less like wondering like, why did this happen? Why, why are they going to explain this moments? I had less of those in Sailor Moon than I did with Yu-Gi-Oh! So I think that's why I kind of preferred Sailor Moon just a little more, but both of them, but I think, like, in terms of what it adds to the story, I think Yu-Gi-Oh! is probably the better movie, if I was speaking, like, more objectively. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Sailor Moon R movie has, like, tighter pacing, Yeah, but I- I'd say from, in terms of, like, a thematic perspective and, I guess, overall kind of importance to its franchise, I feel Dark Side of Dimensions serves such a great kind of central role in bringing a greater closure to the manga. I think that's about what we have to say for both Sailor Moon and Yu-Gi-Oh! Unless you have a little more to say. Uh, anything else? No. It's a great movie. Really glad to have watched it. Yeah. And may- maybe t- t- Takahashi will do more Yu-Gi-Oh! Maybe he'll write or produce more Yu-Gi-Oh! movies down the line, or Maybe work on a new series or something. I want to see more from him. Well, I kind of want this to stay it for, like, the original Yu-Gi-Oh! characters. Because this just felt like such a satisfying place to end things. Oh, yeah. 
Not, not with like these characters per se, but with maybe something else. I don't know. Maybe a prequel series with Kaiba would be great. But <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd I'd read that. Yeah, but really anything. I I just want to see more stuff from him. And yeah, that does it for this episode of Movie Mavericks, Episode Three, talking about Sailor Moon R. The Promise of the Rose, and Yu-Gi-Oh! The Dark Side of Dimensions. Hope you enjoyed it, everybody. Uh, look forward to the next one, which will probably be out in a few weeks. Movie Mavericks basically comes out, like, every week we, won't, we don't put out Manga Mavericks, which at this point basically is working out to every other week, every two weeks or so. So you can follow it on its bi-weekly schedule on allcomic.com or iTunes. And as well as our YouTube, our Manga Mavericks YouTube, you can also catch episodes there starting uh, pretty soon. Uh, would you like to say where the good people can find you, Wheelord? Uh, yes. Yeah. So you can find me at VLordGTZ on Twitter. That is V-L-O-R-D-G-T-Z. Really the only place I'm really online nowadays. But yeah, if you want to talk about JoJo, Detective Conan, whatever... Just hit me up. I'm I'm always happy to talk about those. As for me, you can find me as Lumramayasha on my anime list, Twitter, Kitsu, and Animation Revelation, as well as a whole bunch of other places. And you can find the show at Manga Mavericks, Manga-Mavericks at Twitter.com. You can find it at MangaMavericks.tumblr.com. You can uh, find us on YouTube. Just type in Manga Mavericks, and that's the name of the channel. We need a 100 subscribers to get that channel name. We're about 20 subscribers right now. We still need 80 left. So make sure to like and subscribe our content on YouTube, as well as iTunes. Leave a review, leave a, leave a like, leave a rating, because that also helps the channel grow. And, yeah, you can make sure to find our content on all comic, iTunes, and YouTube. And, yeah, that's about it. We'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys. Later. Not me.